Check, check. Okay. Oh, it is on. Good. Great to see you guys. Really, really happy to be with you. Um, everybody say hi. Thank you. Um, this is so cool to be with you tonight. My name is Jay Miner, and uh, I am, this is, um, thank you. You scared me. Uh, this is really such a privilege just to be with you guys tonight. It really is. And I wanted to say thank you uh, to your whole leadership team and to everybody here for inviting us down. And uh, so it's really great to be with you. Really want to say thank you to Ruben and Marina. I love Ruben and Marina. And uh, they are really great, uh, great friends of mine. I love any time that I get to spend with Ruben. And uh, it is always just a pleasure. And uh, I feel like that. Uh, when I'm with him, I am called to be more like Jesus all the time. He has a very pure heart. I don't know if you know this about him. You probably do. If you've known him for any length of time, Reuben is a very pure-hearted guy, which is really cool because I am not necessarily that way. And uh, so when I get to be with Reuben, it helps me. He helps me to be more godly and to think in a different way, which is really great. And uh, so Reuben called us uh, a few weeks ago and asked if we could do this. And I said, well, I don't know. Let me see. Uh, I'll ask the band and see who could come down. And our entire worship ministry jumped at the chance to come, which was really cool. And uh, so I really, these, these guys are so great. Please get to know them and talk to them. They're really phenomenal people. And uh, I just, I love what God has done with us, and it's definitely a great family. And uh, so, you know, I mean, even if we're, you know, we're down here, but not, not I mean, I, we have so many singers in our worship ministry, not everybody could sing on every song, and so we're always trying to figure out who's going to sing on what. But it's so cool because everybody's heart is just like, I don't even care, I just want to be there. I just want to be there to worship and just be a part of things. And it's just, it's just a great family that we have, so it's really exciting. Um, I was very tempted, even as we were going through the last few songs there, I was very tempted just to completely scrap everything I wanted to say and just keep playing music. Um, and uh, so we, we, we may actually do that here in a little bit. But I do have, there's a couple things that, that, that I wanted to share with you uh, tonight. First of all, I wanted to show you a, uh, a picture of my family. If I can get this thing to work. There it is, it's right there. This is my family. And um, <clears throat> my wife, Tracy, was uh, playing the violin right here. Isn't she phenomenal? And... Um, Yep, she's awesome. We've been married for coming up on 23 years, uh, which is really great. And uh, we have four beautiful, wonderful kids. Uh, these are our kids. Our daughter's 16, uh, be 17 next week, and uh, she's a disciple, great girl. Our son Jonathan is 14. He's right there. And then the, the, the two little ones uh, just joined our family almost a year and a half ago. And uh, uh, we got them. They're a brother and sister who needed a home, and we were able to take them in and adopt them. This is Jacob in Brooklyn, and uh, so they're, they're with us now. And uh, they are a total crack-up, and uh, Brooklyn especially, she has the personality of five people in that little body right there. And uh, she's got a lot, lot of stuff going on. Um, but it's, it's so cool just to be able to try to figure out how to be a dad. How many dads are in the room? Raise your hand if you're a dad. All right, so if, does anybody have it figured out? Anybody? Because I need some help. I just need some serious help trying to figure this whole mess out right here. That's, that, that's, what, I, that's what I'm trying to do. But uh, it, it really is cool um, just to be able to use a clicker. There it goes. Okay. Uh, it, it's cool just, just to be able to, to try to figure out how to love like God. And when you're a parent, that's one of the things that really faces you is how do I love like God? Because you learn so much about yourself 
when you are trying to be a father? Actually, when you're just trying to be a person, you learn a lot about yourself. You ever notice that? It almost doesn't matter what kind of situation you're in. You're learning a lot about what it means to be like God. If you're a teenager, do we got any teenagers in here? Do we have a, are the teens in here? They're kind of around. They're not here? They're around somewhere? Anyone? We have three teens. Okay, teens go, woo! Awesome, okay. <laughs> so when you're, when you're a teenager and you're, you're, you're just trying to figure out how does all of this work and you're, you're trying to figure out who you are and your independence and you're going through all this stuff and, and you keep coming up against issues in your life that you're not sure how to deal with. And then, then you go on to being a campus student. I know there's a lot of campus students in here, right? We got a lot of campus students? Yes. Okay, that was cool. By the way, Derek Hinton, can I just say this? Derek Hinton said to say hello to all of you guys. He loves you so much. He was so uh, disappointed that he couldn't be here tonight. He's working tonight. So, but I saw him at church this morning. He was helping me with some stuff, and he said to say hi to all of you guys. Tori said, said to say hi to all of you guys. They really love you guys. So, and, and I know that some of you are bitter um, and, uh, and, and uh, upset about Derek being with us, and I understand that. Uh, uh, but it's, there's nothing you can do about it. So, um, uh, but we're, we're excited to have Derek and Tori. They're just so awesome. But when, you, when you're in college, you're, you're really trying to then figure out who you are as a person, right? And you're trying to go through this and figure out, how do I make life work? And then you start to kind of realize, as you become more of a grown-up, you start to realize, man, I'm kind of selfish. Anybody ever remember the first time you realized that you were selfish? Raise your hand if you remember the first time. So I have no idea the first time I remember it. I just think I've always been that way, right? Again, then, now, but then if you start dating, if you're dating, and then all of a sudden you realize, man, I was, I'm not as awesome of a person as I thought I was before I was dating, right? And you start dating, you realize you're really selfish. And then you get married. How many young married couples are in here? Are there any young married couples? Yes. Okay, right. How many of you were ever a young married couple? You can raise your hand if you ever were a young married couple. Yes. We all were there at one point or another, which is really great. And Okay, so when you are a young married couple, you know, it's really cool when you're dating because you can be awesome for like two hours a week. It's very easy to be awesome and spiritual for two hours a week, isn't it? Yeah, and you, can, you smell good, you look good, you flossed, you know, I mean, you've got your whole thing going on. It's really cool there for two hours a week. But then you're married and then you're together all the time, right? All day, every day. And so you start to realize how just horribly selfish you really are things come out and then you start to grow and you start to learn to be a little bit more selfless and life gets a little bit more complicated and then if you have children then it's just a whole nother level and you feel like I think my life is over I don't understand this and you and so you're, you're going through stuff and so I wanted to talk to all of you tonight about that feeling of like I don't know how to do this I don't know how to do life and the reason I want to talk to you about that is honestly because that's where I am right now in my life. Reuben was hoping that I could come down and give you a powerful word of encouragement or call you to really follow God and, and that I would be in a good spiritual place. But i got to tell you, I've been having a rough couple weeks. And I'm feeling like I don't know what to do. I don't know how to keep going with life sometimes, when life starts to pile up and there's a lot of stuff that starts to happen. Do you ever feel that way? And you just feel like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure what to do with this stuff. And then on the one hand, you know that God is God and He's really awesome and He's got a lot of power, right? And you read it in the Bible and you go, God must be really great. 
But then you're dealing with your own life and you're thinking, why is it not matching up exactly? And you feel sometimes like I, you know, everyone else around me seems to have this power, but I'm not sure it's really there. But then we don't want to admit it because we want to put up a front. We want to act like we're doing really awesome. And you come to church, they go, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. <laughs> Praise God. You know, I mean, you put on your religious face and you're all happy. And there's a couple people maybe that you can be honest with, but even then you're not sure if you really want to be totally honest. Because you go through times, at least I do, where I start to even doubt, like, okay, God, are you sure about all this stuff? And if I'm really honest, that's what I start feeling. It's like, God, are you sure about all this stuff? The cool thing is that the Bible really talks about this, which is so great. And I want us all to kind of connect with this tonight. And as we go through, we're going to sing some more songs. We're going to hear some more things. We're going to talk about this. That's what I want you to get to is this, this question of like, how do I deal with that when my life just starts to feel like I don't know what to do? I don't know how to keep going. I don't know what to do. You feel overwhelmed. You feel outnumbered. You ever felt outnumbered? There's a great story in the Bible. I love this story. It's Elijah. Tonight we're going to talk about famous underdogs. Okay? And Elijah's in 1 Kings chapter 18. And I just want you to write it down. You can go back and look at this later. I'm just, I kind of want to tell you the story. And many of you probably know this story. But here's the deal is that uh, uh, Israel was being ruled by this bad king. And Elijah came to the king and said, guess what, king? It's not going to rain for three years. And then he went away and hid because he didn't want the king to find him because it didn't rain. Elijah prayed. It stopped raining. And the king was looking for him going, make, find Elijah and tell him to make it start raining again. So he was trying to find Elijah. And then Elijah finally, they, they found him and they said, you got to make it rain. And Elijah's like, listen, here's the deal. I follow God. You're not following God anymore. You got to decide to follow God. And they were like, well, actually, we're following Baal. And there was this, all this worship of Baal. And in fact, they had these 450 prophets. And Elijah challenged them to a duel. It was like the sharks and the jets. Anybody remember the sharks and the jets? I know I'm totally dating myself. We have some musical theater people on the front row. That's awesome. Okay, yes. Yeah. I have four people in the room who know what the sharks and the jets are. Did anybody else? Raise your hand if you know the sharks and the jets. Okay, thank you. All right, see, so... So here's, here, and here's how the rest of the night's going to work. If I say something like, you know the sharks and the jets? Then you'll go, yeah! Okay? So if you know that, so you know what I'm talking about, the sharks and the jets? Yeah. That's awesome. Great. Thank you. Okay, so Elijah challenged them to a duel. And he says, listen, let's go up and we're going to take our offering and we're going to place it on the altar. And then you see if your God can come down and blow up this offering. Like bring fire down from heaven and blow up this offering. He said, and then I'll call on my God, and we'll see if my God will do it. So he had 450 guys versus him. You ever wondered what 450 to 1 looks like? It looks like that. That's 450 to 1 right there, okay? So here's Elijah up on the mountain, and all 450 of these prophets, they are praying, and they are calling on their God, and they're like beating themselves with whips and cutting themselves and dancing around and doing all this stuff all morning. And it's a great story. You've got to read it. I don't have time to, got in, to, to go into it right now. But it's so cool because they, nothing happens. Nothing happens. And then, and then Elijah goes, okay, my turn. And he brings up the offering. And he places it on the altar. And then he says, but no, I'm not just going to ask God to burn up this offering right here. Because God is pretty powerful. He could do that. He said, but I want to show you how powerful God really is. 
So he, st- he takes the water and he pours it on top of the offering. How many people have heard this story before? Raise your hand if you've heard this story. Isn't this just the coolest story? It's awesome, isn't it? So he pours the water on the, altar, on the offering. And then he goes, pour it on again. And they pour it on again. They dig a trench around it. They pour it up. There's so much water. It's filling up this ditch around it. And then Elijah gets down on his knees and he prays. And he's like, God, please, you have to come. And then he goes, is God coming yet? And he goes, no, nope, not yet. It's God, God, he prays and he prays and he prays. And there's all this water and all this stuff is there. And then, boom, this fire comes down and it licks up all the water, burns up the whole offering. Isn't that just the coolest thing in the world to think about? I love that. Because here's Elijah all by himself, totally outnumbered. When you're outnumbered, what do you feel like? What goes through your mind? What goes through your mind when you're at Starbucks and there's two people at the table next to you talking badly about Christians? What goes through your mind then? Well, there's two of them. I'm outnumbered, two to one. What about when you're in a class? You're in a class at school, and, and, and there's like 200 people in the class, and the, the professor is talking about there is no God. And everybody in the class is like, yeah. Or they start talking about these other issues, and they're bringing them up, and you're thinking, it's 200 to 1. I don't know that I can really say anything. But what about if you're just by yourself, and you feel the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms telling you that you cannot overcome and you just feel outnumbered. Can you imagine what Elijah felt like in this situation? Totally outnumbered. Okay, now, think for a second about how you feel when you're doing really well spiritually. Anybody ever done really well spiritually? Raise your hand if you've ever had a moment where you've done really well spiritually. It could have lasted for two minutes, that's okay, but I just want you to remember that time, right? Okay. So you've got a moment when when you're doing really well spiritually and you feel like, you know what? If I called God to come down and burn up my offering, he would totally do it. He could do it like that. You ever felt like that? And you pray and stuff happens and you're filled with faith and you're like, God, help me to meet somebody today that wants to know you. And you run into five people that are looking for God and you're like, this is awesome. Or you pray, God, help me to have this great conversation with my wife or with my kids. And you pray about it and it goes great and everything's good. And you're like, this is so cool because prayer works and it's awesome. And you feel like, man, i got so much faith, and it's really cool. And it's kind of like this. Now, let's imagine that this is your offering, okay? Okay. Or this is your idea of life, okay? Now, if, if we're making the connection with how we normally do offerings, offerings that you would place on the altar are something that is really, really precious to you, right? Really special, really awesome, Okay? Is everybody with me? You understand that? Okay, so now I'm wanting you to imagine this is your offering. And I did this because this is very precious to me. I have to say, I love, I love toilet paper. I think toilet paper is really, really a great, it's a fabulous invention, isn't it? But, okay, so let, let's just imagine that this right here, sorry the microphone keeps doing this, it's probably me, I'm doing it wrong. But let's just imagine that this right here is your, and you pray, and you're like, God, can you please, can you please do something with this? And God starts to work, and you're like, yes. Oh, my gosh, look at that. That's so awesome, isn't it? It's great. And you feel good. And you feel like this is just so unbelievably cool because God is so powerful. And then there's other times. The whole smoke alarm is going to go off. I know. Sorry, Reuben. I'm sorry about that. All right, so now I'm just dousing this for just a second, okay? 
There we go. Okay, that's good. All right, so now let's imagine that this is your life. This, is, this represents your idea of a good, comfortable, wonderful, awesome life. So this could be your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And it's really important to you, and it goes really well. Or it could be your career. It could be something you're like, this is so important to me, and I need this to really work out. It could be just a sense of comfort for you, like I need to feel safe. Maybe you didn't grow up feeling safe, and you feel like I need to feel safe. And so you have, you have this picture in your mind, I want something. I believe that I deserve this in my Christian life. I deserve for my life to be awesome. I deserve for my life to be great. And if I pray enough, then God will give it to me because I have powerful prayers. you see what God just did with that one? I have powerful prayers, and if I pray, the Bible says God answers, doesn't he? Doesn't God always answer when we pray? And so then you've got this offering in there, and you're feeling like, this is so good, I love this, and life is going good, but then stuff starts to happen, and you start to feel like, I'm not really sure that I can figure out how to make this, and for me, this happened when we got two extra kids. I was, you know, I, I thought I had my life together when I had two kids, and a great wife, and a great job, and my life was good, my ministry was good, and then we adopted two kids. And then life started to feel a little bit more challenging, and life started to feel like, you know what, this is, this is actually harder than I thought it was going to be. And stuff starts to, the, the water starts to come in and, and you, you start to feel your faith is like it's not as big as it was. It's not as on fire as it was anymore. And you're just wondering like, how am I going to make this happen? How am I going to make this work? Maybe you start to doubt things. You start to doubt God. You ever doubted God? You start to feel like, I don't, I, I'm not really sure. I know that the Bible says this and people in the church say this, but... But man, I don't know. And then, then stuff happens. Maybe you lose somebody. Maybe you lose a parent. Maybe you lose a child. Maybe one of your best friends leaves the faith, betrays you. And, you, and the whole time you're thinking, God, I know that you say that you're real and I know that you say that you're there, but I'm not feeling it anymore. And you try to pray and nothing happens. You know you're just supposed to have a quiet time, so you go and you sit and you open your Bible and you try to read it. And nothing comes in. And you hear other people talking about their life and how great things are for them, and you just think, that's not how it looks for me. And you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and it feels like nothing is happening. And if we were to try to light that, nothing happens. So this same amount of faith that you had before, now all of a sudden doesn't work anymore. And God has taken you and he has stretched you and he has pushed you out so far to where you are now like Elijah's, 450 to 1. And you're not sure what to do. I want to talk to you about another guy, Gideon. In Judges, verses 6 through 8, you can go back and study this later, but Israel is being overcome by the Midians, they're being oppressed by the Midians, and so Gideon is hiding, but God comes to him and says, you're a mighty warrior, I want you to lead my people. And so he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll do it. And so they go out, and there's 135,000 Midianites. You ever looked at 135,000 people? That's a lot of people, right? And so Gideon has 32,000 people against 135,000. 
Those are a little bit overwhelming odds, aren't they? But God says, I want you to take your 32 and I want you to go fight these 135,000. Actually, though, 32,000 is a little bit too many. So I want you to pare it down a little bit. So whoever's scared, tell them they can go home. So he goes, okay, is anybody scared? 20,000 of them are like, I'm scared. And they go home. So now he's got about 10,000 guys left that he's supposed to go fight 135,000. But God says it's still too many. Your strength that you think that you have is too much. Even though you think you need your strength to be able to deal with life, you may not have to have that. Because there might be another answer. So God tells Gideon, take all your guys down to the river, tell them to get a drink, and depending on how they drink the water, then I'm going to show you which ones you need to choose. So he goes down, and and they drink the water, and he chooses 300 of them. 300 men to 135,000. You want to know what that looks like? It looks like that. 135,000 Midianites versus 300 Israelites. What would you have thought if you were one of those 300? you think about that? If you start to do the math on it, you want to know what that percentage is? 0.002%. That's what that percentage is. And now, I want, you, I want you to really see this, okay? Because I think this is just one of the coolest things. Because I was studying this out and I started to think, well, how many guys is that? If I were one of the Israelites, how many Midianites would I be responsible for taking out? I wanted to kind of go through and figure that out because this seems pretty overwhelming to me, but God seemed to feel like it was okay. So he went through this and he goes, okay, well, let's figure out how many it is. So 135,000 divided by 300. Now, teens, I just wanted to make a point here that you do use math in real life, okay? (laughs) It does actually happen and and it actually is good. And I I did this. I I was able to use my um, iPhone and the calculator and I figured out what the... uh, uh, what what the answer to this was, but I, I want you to see this. Now, you remember Elijah? How many prophets of Baal were there? 450, right? There were 450 prophets, and Elijah was just one. But now we got these Midianites. There's 135,000 of them divided by 300 Israelites. Anybody want to do the math on that? Okay, now, come on. That's just stinking awesome right there. Is that awesome? That's one of, that's one of these Bible things right there. That you go, are you serious? That this was right there in the middle of that other story. This is like hundreds of years before. Here's Gideon was 450 to 1. And then later God had Elijah and that was 450 to 1. I mean, now that's just cool. Come on, don't you think that's cool? you got to admit that that's cool right there, okay? That, that's one of these God things, yes. I mean, I, was, I remember when I, when I figured this out, I was sitting and I was studying all this and I was in the middle of a restaurant and I just got so excited, like... Oh my gosh, can you believe that? It's 450 to 1. I had to call the waitress over to tell her how awesome that was because I didn't have anybody with me, you know, but somebody had to see how cool this was. It's 450 to 1. I mean, that's just phenomenal. And this is how God works. Now, I want to tell you about one other guy here, okay? Jehoshaphat. I love Jehoshaphat. Okay, now, so Jehoshaphat's a king, and all these guys are coming against Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles chapter 20, go back and read it later. This is for what you do in your quiet times this week, okay? So Jehoshaphat, he was a king, and all these guys were coming against him, this huge army, and he said this most amazing thing. He said, God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh, I love that verse. When you start to feel like you don't know how to get through life, this is what you pray. 
God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is our model for what we pray and how we get through challenging situations. God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There's 450 guys coming against you. When you feel like you have failed again and you don't know how to get over it, when you feel like that you are stuck and you don't know how to move past it, when you feel like you're not sure if God is really there, you go, God, we don't, I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so what Jehoshaphat did, they fasted and they prayed, and then they went out to meet the army. Do you remember this story? How many people remember this story? This is one of my favorite stories, right? So Jehoshaphat's going out, and he takes their worship team, and he takes their guys, and he puts them in front of the army, and he says, as we're marching out, you guys sing songs of praise to God as we're marching out to fight this battle. And so as the army's going out, they're singing songs of praise, and what God does is he goes in to the, uh, the other camp, and there's all these different races that were all coming against the Israelites, and he basically turns them on themselves, and they end up fighting each other and killing each other. And so here comes the Israelites, and they're singing songs, you are good all the time, right? And they're fired up, and they come up over the hill, and they're like, oh, everybody's dead already. Now, how cool would that be? I mean, unbelievable story, right? Because this is how God works. He takes these overwhelming odds, and he says, you don't have to do anything with this, because I am strong enough to handle this for you. You don't have to figure this out because I am strong enough to handle this for you. That's how awesome our God is. Now, I know this. I know this, and I believe it, and I want to hear it, and I want you to hear it. But, man, sometimes I still feel like this. I still feel like that. I don't don't know what to do. I keep going, God, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get through this. But my eyes are on you. All I can do right now is turn to you and look at you and pray to you and focus on you. Now, the cool thing about the Jehoshaphat stories, it says it took them three days to plunder all of the enemy. Okay? Three days to plunder all the enemy. Now, I don't know how many people there were in the other army, and I don't know how many people Jehoshaphat had. But I do know that it takes you a while to plunder people. Okay? <laughs> So I I did a little bit of math, and I tried to figure out how long would it take them actually to plunder somebody. So let's just imagine. Can you just go with me for a little bit? This is not proper biblical exegesis, but I just want you to imagine. And if you tell anybody I said this, I will deny it and call you a liar. But here's the thing is that if you you think about it this way, if you go, let's imagine that there were 450 guys to one and that every Israelite had to plunder 450 guys. Could he plunder 450 guys in three days? Actually, he could. If you imagine a 12-hour plundering day, because if you're plundering, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? I mean, you're not going to stop after eight hours. You're gonna, you're gonna, you want to keep going. It's exciting to plunder somebody. So, I mean, you can, you can walk into somebody's tent, and you go, what are they? Okay, plundered. Good, and you're, and you're done, and you walk out. I mean, so how, many, how, how long would it take you? If you, okay, I did the math on this. I can't remember if I even put this on here, because it, it just felt, no, I didn't put it on here, because it was too embarrassing. But here's the deal. If you... If you plundered one dead guy every 4.8 minutes, you would plunder 450 guys in three days. Okay? Are you following me on this? You think that's possible? I could probably plunder 450 dead guys in three days. And I think that's what the Israelites did. My point here is that there were overwhelming odds when Jehoshaphat went out to fight the army. He did not even have to fight. He did not even have to fight. Because what did he do? 
He used these tricks. Here's famous underdog tricks. See, this is not a proper sermon. I just want you to know, real preachers don't, know, don't talk like this and don't share stuff this, like this with you. But I'm not a real preacher, which is that, that, that makes it easier for you in the moment. Okay, so here's your famous underdog tricks, okay? The first one is praise. When you want to figure out how to follow God, you praise him. It's what Jehoshaphat did when they went out. They were like, we're just going to praise God. We don't know how we're going to do this. We don't know how we're going to overcome this army, but all we're going to do is just praise God. We're going to sing songs of praise. We're going to worship our God. We're going to do everything we can to tell God he is awesome and that he is in control and that we believe that he can help us overcome these overwhelming odds. And the second thing that you do is you pray. Praise and prayer are famous underdog tricks. This is how we deal with overwhelming situations when we feel like that we don't know how to get past the challenges in our life. We praise God and we pray. We praise God and we pray. Now, I want to show you this. This question right here. You can write this down. Really, I just want you to answer it. What is your 450 to 1 struggle? What is going on in your life right now that is a challenge for you? What is going on in your life right now that you feel like this is overwhelming? I don't know that I can do this. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe some of you in here are addicted to pornography. And you feel like, I, I can't, I, I don't know how to overcome this. Maybe you get victory for two weeks, three weeks, and then, then you fall again. And you feel like, I don't even know if I'm really a Christian. Maybe you're having problems in your marriage, and you're like, I, I don't know what happened. I used to love this person, but now I'm, I'm, I don't know what happened. There's bitterness and there's resentment that's grown up. Maybe it's doubt about the, the, the truthfulness of the scriptures. But everybody around you seems to totally believe that the Bible is real. And then you feel odd bringing up these questions about, I'm not sure what I think about this. Maybe you feel like you're, you're dealing with something at work and you don't know how to get over it. You don't know how to, how to move past it. How do I stand up when my boss is calling me to lie? How do I stand up for what is right if I'm going to lose my job? What is your 450 to 1 struggle? I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down. And then I want you to start applying these tricks. Praise and prayer. Because you may not have an answer to your struggle. I don't know that there's an answer for me about how to become the father of four when I've for 13 years been the father of two. There's things that go into our family that are just so far beyond me. I, I, I don't even know. I don't know how to deal with it. And many times I feel like a failure and I feel like a fraud. All I can do is come back to this. I'm just going to praise God and I'm going to pray. Turn your Bibles over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, down at verse 8. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he's saying hi, and this is in his greetings in this first chapter here, but then he says something really powerful. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. You know, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Probably just because I'm so emotional and emotionally unstable uh, that it, it gives me a lot of great comfort to know that Paul went through stuff where he felt like that he was despairing of life itself. I'm like, okay, 
I'm, I'm, I may have some mental issues, but Paul felt this. Other people feel this. You know, and that's one of the things that Satan loves to do, too, is just to get us isolated, make us think that we're the only ones that think that our life stinks. We're the only ones that have these kind of problems. We're the only ones whose life is this bad. It's not true. But, man, he loves to get us to think that. Nobody else can understand our problems. He says, we despaired of life itself, verse 9. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but this happened, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So he says, this happened. All this bad stuff happened that made us despair of life itself. He's not blaming God for what happened. In fact, he's saying this happened so that we could learn to rely on God who raises the dead. So that we could turn to God who loves these overwhelming situations. Who loves to work when there's 450 people coming against you. So that we could learn to turn our eyes on God and we could praise Him and we could pray to Him. And we could let Him work out these challenges and these problems and these situations and whatever it is. God, I mean, Paul is saying, this happened so that we would rely on ourselves and not on God. <laughs> so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God. Everybody follow me? I think you knew what I meant, even though I said it wrong, right? Okay, so, so this, this is what is so cool. It's just like, thank you, God, that we don't have to give in to these feelings of despair. In fact, the feelings of despair that we have drive us, should drive us, to God. The feelings of despair that we have, even if we can't figure out the situation, you may not know how to deal with your kids right now. You may not know how to deal with your kids who have turned on God and walked away. You may not know how to deal with it if your spouse is not a Christian and does not want to follow the Bible. You may not know what the answer is to that. You may not know how to get out of the financial situation that you're in right now. You may not know how to deal with this friend who has betrayed you. But God has the power and the ability to help you through it. The answer may not be obvious, but here's what I know is that God does know the answer and that He will help you through it. And sometimes just getting through the problem and the challenge of the situation is God's plan all along because you learn something as you're going through that challenge. I want to... I want, to ask, I want to ask the band, you guys go ahead and come up on stage. I want to, I want to play a song for you guys. And you can, if you know it, you can sing along. If you don't know it, then you, I just want you to listen. I want you to watch the words and I want you to listen. But this song is about this feeling of being out on the edge of your faith when you feel like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know if I can keep going. But knowing, even still, that God is faithful and that God is good and that He has us. This song says, God, you have me. You have my heart completely. And if we could turn down the lights back there because I just I, in, in the house, because I want you guys just to be able to really focus on this and think about this, that God has me. Whatever your struggle is, your 450 to 1 struggle, I want you to think about this struggle, and I want you to turn it over to God and trust that he has you during this time. And then after that, I'm going to come back and we'll close off.
stage there in the silence you were there my faith was torn to shreds my heart in the balance but you
your hands You hold my world And you won't let go Amen great to feel like that God has you, and no matter what you're going through, that God has you. When you're out on the edge, you feel like nothing else can help you. God is there, and He will help you. You have to praise Him. You have to praise Him no matter what is going on, even when you don't feel like it, even when it doesn't make any sense. You still have to praise God. You have to pray to God even when you feel like this. When you feel like I'm drowning, I, ha- I cannot get any oxygen, there is nothing going on. You still go to God and you still pray. Look at what it says further on in this passage. In ver- verse 9, he says, This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we've set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Okay, now hang on a second. So we're talking about how God has delivered us from a deadly peril, how He will deliver us again, and that we're going to set our hope on Him that He will continue to deliver us. That's a great feeling, isn't it? A great thought that God will deliver us from our 450 to 1 situation, from the struggle that we're in. We feel like we can't get over. God will do it, but He will do it as you help us by your prayers. How are you going to get through this if people are not praying for you? How are your brothers and sisters going to get through things if you are not praying for them? See, we have to be in this thing together, guys. There are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that are coming against us all the time. You have to be in the battle. You have to decide that you are going to pray for other people and that you are going to help other people through this struggle. Are there other people that you know that are going through challenging times? Anybody that you know that is having a health issue? Maybe somebody's going through cancer. Maybe somebody is dealing with uh, different chronic fatigue things or problems. Maybe somebody is having some serious other health issues or people are, 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 uh, you know, going through loved ones passing away or different challenges. What are they facing? What are they going through? Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's this stuff feeling like, I don't know how to get through life. Do you know people that are going through stuff? Do you know people that have these kind of challenges? Because we can think about our own challenges. It's pretty easy for us to go down this road and go, oh my goodness, my life is so horrible, isn't it? I'm good at whining and complaining about my own life. But then when I have to start thinking about other people, what are other people going through? What are the people in your small group going through? What kind of challenges are they facing? What kind of doubt are they facing? Am I ever going to find the person that I'm supposed to marry? That kind of doubt and discouragement will eat away at your heart and eat away at your faith. Are people that you know dealing with that? Have you been praying for them? Are you just irritated with them that they're not responding as spiritually as you think that they should? James chapter 5 verse 16 says this, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Your prayers are powerful and effective, but you go, hold on a second, I'm not righteous, so I get out of that. Okay? Here's the thing. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. 
God chooses to see you. If you are a Christian, if you have been baptized, if you have the Holy Spirit, God sees you as holy and blameless. I don't care what sin you committed today. God sees you as holy and blameless. I don't care if you've been complaining since the time that you woke up. God sees you as holy and blameless. I don't care if you are doubting and you are depressed. God sees you as holy and blameless. You are righteous. We are righteous, guys. It's not a works-based religion that we're in, okay? Just because you may be having a bad day doesn't mean that you stepped out of God's grace. You're still in it, and God still sees you as holy and blameless. So I say all that to say this, that you are a righteous person, and your prayers are powerful and effective, okay? You may be stinking it out spiritually today, but your prayers are still powerful and effective. But you need to be praying for people. So here's what I want you to do. Go to the next slide. I want you to write down... Five people that you know that you need to pray for. Five people that have challenges in their life, that have issues that are going on, and I want you to pray for them every day this week. I'm not talking about little drive-by prayers on the, on the way to work. Oh, yeah, God, please help that one person with that thing. I'm talking about on your knees, dedicated time set aside to praying for somebody. You know what we do in our culture a lot of times, in our religious cultures? We'll pray about it. We'll like, oh, God, can you please help me with this situation? In Jesus' name, amen. And then we go on with our life and we feel like that, that, that that is really praying about something. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about prayers where you are, on your, where you are wrestling with God. And after you've said it once and prayed for it once, you're like, oh, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to pray about this side of it. I'm going to pray about this angle of it. God, show me what I should pray for about this situation. What kind of prayers are you having? Because the, your prayers are powerful and effective, so why would you not be praying more? You should be praying more. Now, selfishly, I want to ask you to put my name on, on your list. Why not? I'll ask for it. You don't have to. But, you know, I mean, if you know me, if you've ever met me before, if you know that my name is Jay, then you can pray for me. Put me on your list, okay? And at least four other people that you know, I want you to pray for them to be able to get through their challenges and get through these struggles. Now, here's what I want to offer to do for you, is that I will send you a text message every day this week reminding you to pray for these people. I will do that. Go to the next slide for me. If you want me to do that, here's all that you have to do. Sounds like an infomercial, doesn't it? This is like 21st century religion right here. Take out your phone. You can do it right now. Take out your phone, and I will send you a short text message every day encouraging you and reminding you to pray for the people that you want to pray for. Okay? All you have to do is text it to this number, 818-293-0305, and type in that word or that, that thing right there, LB450. If you haven't figured it out, that stands for Long Beach and then the 450 to 1. Remember how we were talking about 450 to 1? So Long Beach, 450. Okay, so now, this is like modern, this is exciting Christianity, isn't it? I'm not going to ask you to give me anything. It's not 1995 to do this. It's just, this is totally for free, okay? So I will send you a text message every day for a week, and after that, you will never hear from me again. But, because this is what I want. I don't want you to walk out of here today. And just this be it. You sang a couple songs. Everything was good. You heard a good message. You said amen a couple times. The 450 thing, that's kind of cool. But then you don't do anything with it. I want you to decide that your life is going to change. I want you to decide that other people's lives are going to change because of your prayers this week. I want you to have faith that God is going to start moving in this church in the lives of people that are studying the Bible to become Christians, in the lives of people that are struggling to want to remain Christians, in the lives of people who are fired up about being Christians but just want to see God do more things in their life. I want you to decide that this week it's going to change.